Great. How's it going? This is going to be... You want to join my wolf pack? Okay. If you're laughing, then you know the reference, and we're going to pray for you afterwards. So this morning I had the privilege of dedicating my son... Oliver, he's, he's six months old, he sleeps like a baby, so he's crying and all, every, all the hours of the night, and where did that sleep like a baby saying come from? Babies are terrible at sleeping. Um, anyway, more like sleep like a log or something. So, no, but he actually sleeps quite well. Anyway, so it was really cool. I had my son, he's now six months old, six and a half months, he's seven months on the 10th of September, and we had my family here, and we had Monica's family here, and what was cool for me is Oliver, that's the name of my son, if you haven't picked that up, Oliver, he is a celebration of two families coming together, two very different families, one family is English, I'll let you guess which one, and one family is Afrikaans. One family is crazy. I'll let you guess which one. One family is normal. And um, then you get Oliver. And he is the amalgamation of two families coming. Yes, I can use big words. Amalgamation of two families coming together and celebrating two cultures. First time I went to my wife's family when we were still friends. We weren't even dating. And you, know, you go into the house and you get ushered into the what I now know is Afrikaners called the the Domini Sitkamer. And you sit down and they bring out a tray with some with a teapot and some tea. Like, wow, this is amazing. Can I help with the dishes? No. Here's some food. You sit down at the table and they bring you food out of the kitchen. And I have never even seen the kitchen in that house. Okay, I have now, but you know, you don't you don't you don't guests don't see the kitchen. Stuff just comes out of the kitchen. I'm like, wow, this is amazing. You know, and us Westerners have been sold on this open plan living, which is just a a way of getting you suckering you into doing all the food and stuff. I like that style, you know, they bring you stuff and you just sit there, it's awesome. And, um, and my family is very different. You walk into the house, nobody's going to make you tea. There's the fridge, there's the oven. You want food, you can have food, you want tea, you can make a tea. And, and what I realize is not, there isn't one family that is better than the other. One family, it's all about serving. And the Afrikaans culture is amazing at that. They love to serve. And my family c- culture is, this is your house. If you want to go drink milk out of the bottle, go ahead. You want to sit in front of the TV, go ahead. You want to make yourself some food, go ahead. Mikasa sukasa. And, and my parents, they love hospitality. They love having people in their house. Uh, they aren't necessarily going to run after you, make you stuff, but... They, they love to prepare a space for people. Isn't, isn't that powerful? When you've got these two families, two very different cultures, and then you get my son, Oliver, who is a representation 
of those two cultures. We have a family that loves to serve and a family that loves to host people. And what do you get when you put those two together? Something even more amazing. Isn't that, isn't that amazing? And, that, and that, is, that is church. And each one of us sitting here, you represent a family for better or for worse. You have a story, a, a family story. Um, some of you came from good homes, some of you came from bad homes, some of you came from weird homes, some of you came from normal homes, some of you came, no, I'll stop there, let me, let me stop this, because some people's parents are in the, in the building, so I won't embarrass you in front of your parents, but, um, but it's an amazing sense that you are a product of your culture, for better or for worse. And when we come to church here, we are the sum of our parts, so to speak. We, our church exists and our culture is defined by the cultures that you bring in the door. Isn't that amazing? And here's, here's the best part, is that when we come together and recognize this, there's nothing that we cannot do. If a bunch of wolves just doing wolvish stuff can change the physical geography of a landscape. Imagine what a bunch of people coming together can do with the, pur- with the purpose to serve and to extend the kingdom of God. Amen? That is the power of unity. That is, that is why we come together. Apparently, I've only got 15 minutes left. Um, all God's people say, Amen. Yeah. Um, That is why we come together. There is not one culture that is better, but together, black, white, colored, green, yellow, for those of you feeling a bit sick. Um, In here, Lutheran, Methodist, Charismaniac, we don't judge, um, we are better for you in this church. We need you to bring what you've got. We don't need you to look like Armand, as good looking as he is. We don't need you to be like Amu. We don't need you to do worship like Henry. We need you. We need you as you are, with your background, with your family background. And for some of you, I've got to say, stop, stop dissing your family. Some of you need to hear that. You need to honor your family because they've given you something that will change the world. For good, I, I'm, I'm saying that with confidence, no matter your family background, start learning to honor your family. Okay, that's just a bit of a side note. You can take that if you want. Let's open up our Bibles to Ephesians 4, verse 11 to 13. So now, unity, I'm saying unity, and we must be very careful not to confuse unity with uniformity. So very often you talk to people about unity and you're like, 
let's all get into one big church and we're all going to worship the same and we're all going to look the same, we're all going to dress the same. That is not unity, that is uniformity. We don't want uniformity. I don't want you to look like me. I don't want the ear to try and be an eye. I want the foot to try and be a hand. We need unity where we understand that different people coming together make up a whole complete body. Amen? This became very apparent to me when I went to Japan. I went there for a mission. It was just after the tsunami in 2011, and we went as a relief crew to go and clean stuff up. Um, And we get to the place where we're staying, and it was like a mission house, so you got a whole bunch of people there from all over the place. And there was us, the charismaniacs, and we like to pray for everything that breathes. So, you, you know, you walk past people and they start holding their breath as you walk by. Okay, it's gone. Thank you. And then you, we had some hardcore American Methodists, extremely conservative. And it was fun the first night. Because there's, you can automatically see that there's this tension. When are we going to pray? How long are we going to pray? I need to get to bed. And us charismatics are like, woo, two in the morning, worship, yeah, you know. Um, yeah, fun. We didn't really worship to two in the morning. And so there's this tension and, you know, and then the next day we go to the, the town hall and they start dividing us in teams and allocating jobs. And we got put with the Methodists again and we're going out into the field and then all of a sudden, theology goes out the window. And tension goes out the window. Why? Because there's a job to be done. It's as simple as that. And unity, what I realized there, a revelation I received, unity comes from having a common purpose and a common goal. Not common dress codes or common, not even common theology. It's not a necessity. It's when we can purpose together. I can go to Armand and say, Armand, you're a cool guy. I'm a bit of a weirdo. But together, let's walk this road and try to extend the kingdom of God. Not only that, but I understand that if I want to get far, I'm going to get further with Armand. Okay? It's an amazing African proverb. It says, If you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. We want to go far. Christianity, it's an endurance race. It's not a sprint. Okay? You guys with me? So we come to Ephesians 4. And Ephesians 4 also starts with this concept of unity in the body of Christ. And Paul is talking to the church of Ephesians. And he starts talking, okay, why... There's different parts, and for what purpose are we here, okay? So we start off in verse 11, he starts talking about the different roles in church, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers. Verse 12, why are we here? For what purpose? Why did he give us different roles? Verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Why are we so different? For a purpose. What is that purpose? To equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Amen? That's why we're here. 
verse 13. And we do this until we attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Okay, there's that word unity again. I, we understand that you are here in this building to serve a purpose. Not my purpose, not Armour's purpose, not Shofar's purpose. But we are here to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Okay? The goal is to get people into church and to disciple them. That is our, that is our focus. And we can't do it alone. We can't do it without you. Okay? We need a wolf pack. I want to be part of my wolf pack. Be careful of laughing. I know you. Seeing, watching. Okay. And there's, 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 a, there's another conversation that we also need to have with this. Is that there's an understanding of a common goal, but we also need people with vision. Because, like, one of my favorite stories in this church is about the band. Okay, and the band was awesome, right? The band was, yeah, awesome, fun. You know, Vian there on the drums, and Henry there looking as good as ever on the guitar. Um, but there was a time where it was just one guy, not not on a Sunday evening for the whole church. There's a guy named Gerrit. Go have a conversation with him. He he did the worship. Okay, and. There was a vision in him to serve. He understood that this is my season. This is where I need to put in. Okay? And then Francois came along and I came and there was the three of us. And for a good year, we, we plowed along. And, and I can tell you, those were not the funnest of sessions that we ever did. But there's something in, in the sense that we are here to worship God. There's a vision where we're not doing this for the crowd. We're not doing this... It's because we want to worship God, and we're doing it together. And in a sense, that, that vision from Gerrit, that vision from Francois, is in the spiritual, it was changing geography, it was changing supernatural. And I, and I believe that the vision that Gerrit is, is the, what we saw on stage tonight is the, is the product of that. It's people that have a vision for the future. And then you get Francois and he goes, well, I see something here. And I want to go a road with you, Gerrit. I want to sow into that. Okay? And that, that is amazing. And we need people like that. Because here's the thing with starting up anything. It's tough. I don't know if any of you have ever been part of a church plant, part of a new small group. But it's a little bit awkward those first couple of months, maybe even a year, okay? We started this evening service with 12 people. There were 12 people. And for the first year, it fluctuated between 15 and 30, okay? And there's something where we've got to buy into this vision, okay? Today, it's not necessarily the day, but we are... We see something bigger than what is in this hall. Okay? We have, we have and now, now we're at the place where we're breaking down walls because we're running out of space. Okay? But it's, it was started with a bunch of people. It started with people like JH. 
sorry with people who, who just want to serve. I want to I be part of something bigger than myself. And it's not about the hype because there is no hype. There's too many, there's too few people for hype. It's not about, it's not about, you know, the glory. It's too few people to give you glory. It's about, I want to serve something bigger than myself. And together, we can start changing spiritual geography. Where it's not just 12 people, but we're averaging services over 100 people. And it starts with people like J.H. who just want to serve, who just want to be part of something more than themselves. That is the invitation. Okay? And I want to, I, I read the story last time I preached about the prodigal son. I'm not going to read it through now. But if you've been hanging out with me for the last couple of weeks, you know I've been on a prodigal son tangent. Uh, we started in small group with a series by Timothy Keller called The Prodigal God. Prodigal means reckless. So we, we just sang about, oh, you know, the reckless love of God. It's prodigal. Prodigal son means a reckless son. Somebody got given money and just burnt it all. And then you've got God, somebody who was reckless, who, who gave up everything, a seat at, at the right hand of God, Born as a man, Jesus Christ gave up everything for you. And in the prodigal son, it's an amazing story because it's, it's a story essentially about family. It's a story about a younger brother. Um, and you know, if you've read it or if you were here two weeks ago when I read, you know, the story of the younger brother, it's, it's the classic salvation story. It's, everybody can relate to this. I was lost. I was in sin and death. I, I met Jesus, uh, he saved my life, uh, where I expected judgment, he gave me mercy, he gave me new life, and I have this, the right to be called a son and daughter of God, amen? Okay, we know this one, we can relate to it, if you've been in church long enough, you know this. And then there's the story of the older brother, and I also did a sermon about that a couple of weeks ago, and um, the older brother, he, in a sense, represents us who have been in church a bit longer and we've kind of gotten into a bit of a rut. <coughs> and Timothy Keller points out that the problem with the two brothers is that essentially they're the same. They both want the stuff of God. They don't want God himself. The one brother tries and gets the stuff of God by being very, very bad. And the other brother tries and gets the stuff of God by, doing, by being very, very good. It's lawlessness on one side and dead religion on the other side. And the story ends with the father going to the older brother and saying, he ends off with this saying, everything that I have is yours. Everything that I own is yours. And he meant this literally. This was the brother's inheritance and... And then he says, but it is fitting now that we celebrate. For your brother was once lost and now he is saved. He was dead and he's now alive. And that's a beautiful picture. And something else that, that Timothy Keller pointed out is, you know, um, Prodigal Son, chapter 15, I encourage you, write down Luke chapter 15, write down the whole thing. Not, I mean, write down the 
you want to read the whole thing in your quiet time tomorrow, but go through it. Take note of the first two parables. Something I never, I never even saw it, and then when I read the book, it's like, what? I never even noticed that. But the first parable that Jesus tells in that chapter, one of the first two parables, is of a lady who loses a coin, and she tears up her whole house in search of this coin. And in that context, then Jesus starts the story of the prodigal son. And, and if you were Jewish, you would know that um, you know, in their culture, it was the responsibility of the older brother to go look for his younger brother. If your, if your younger sibling went off and did who knows what, it would be your responsibility as the oldest, as the firstborn, to go and find that brother. So what is Jesus doing? He's talking to the Pharisees. He's saying, you are like the older brother in the story. You had a responsibility, and because of your dead religion, you've neglected your responsibility. Because you're after the stuff of God, because you're after your own fulfillment, because you're after a worship experience rather than the Father's heart, rather than somebody having a revelation of Christ, rather than somebody coming to know Christ, you have neglected your younger brother. And if you were a Pharisee there, that would have hit you like a ton of bricks. And that's why they were offended with Jesus a lot, because he... He called them out. And, and today, we've got to look at our own hearts. Why are we here? For what purpose? Are we here to have a good worship experience? There's nothing wrong with great worship, but this worship is not for you. This worship is for God. Amen? Somebody once went to Francis Chan and said, your worship is too long. And he said, don't worry about it. It's not for you. I love that. But we've, we've got to get past this self-centered theology where, you, where we understand that our younger brother is out there and he is lost. And I want the heart of God where I understand that it is fitting to celebrate when my brother is found and when he was dead but is now alive that is what we need that is that is the church culture that we need. and as a church that is what we're moving towards and if you want to be part of that there's an invitation for you not to change and be like us but to bring what you have for that purpose we need you to fulfill that purpose we need to start changing spiritual geography you with me? Let's stand up.